This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employers respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. This is Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Here's the Thing. Everybody's doing a brand new dance now. Come on, baby, do the locomotion. I know you'll get to like it if you give it a chance now. Come on, baby, do the locomotion. My little baby says you can do it with ease. It's easy. When Mark Farner took the stage with his rock band Grand Funk Railroad at the Atlanta Pop Festival in 1969, he was virtually unknown. But reaction was swift. Within weeks, Grand Funk would be signed by Capitol Records and less than two years later, selling out Shea Stadium faster than the Beatles. Four decades after his first performance, the self-coined cussing Christian is still touring. But before going solo, it was his time with Grand Funk that taught him how to rock. Our first manager, Terry Knight, would tell me, he says, you know, there's a lot of people there. The people in the back row uh, can't see your antics if you're doing, you know, little things. You got to exaggerate everything. So I went into this exaggeration, and it really worked. Right. (laughs) You're playing to the back row. Yeah. Now, you started out, your parents were musical. Yes. And your dad, who passed away when you were very young, you were like nine, nine years old? yeah. And your dad, what did he play, the sax? He played sax and guitar. Was he in bands and played in bands? No, nah, but every Sunday he was playing guitar with my mother's people came from Leachville, Arkansas. And they moved up when she was 16 years old. She met my dad, you know, married uh, north meets south. And I believe that's what happened to, you know, why all that music came out of Michigan was... A lot of people came from the southern states to get the high-paying auto factory jobs. Wow. And so we had a lot of southerners, and they brought their guitars and their banjos, and they were picking every Sunday. Yes, and it mixed with Flint. It mixed real good. Wow. And and we got a lot of good music to prove it out of Michigan. Now, your dad, what, what kind of work did he do for a living? He was a fireman. 
a World War II vet. He was a tank driver. He returned home with four bronze medals. Most tank drivers didn't get to see their second battle. He went through four of them, brother. Wow. Yeah. And my mother was the first woman in the United States to weld on Sherman tanks at Fisher Body in Flint, Michigan. So there's auto blood in your family, too. Yeah. And we call it assembly line rock and roll. (laughs) (laughs) So give for people who don't know the etymology of Grand Funk Railroad. What was the, was there's a meaning to that. It's an actual railway system that runs through Ontario, Canada, Michigan, and Ohio called Grand Trunk and Western. And uh, our first manager, Terry Knight, had a song that he'd written, Grand Funk Railroad. He says, why don't you name your band the name of my song, Grand Funk Railroad? And we went, yeah, that's cool. That works. But he was in a band himself. Yes. And you were in that band. Yes, Terry Knight in the pack, and I played bass and sang. And Don, the drummer, and I one day said, you know, he doesn't sing all that good. <laughs> we're, we're singing better Who than he is. Who broke it to him? Uh, Don. So Don went to Terry. Yeah, and uh, said, we, we're going to do this without you, Terry. Well, he was all pissed and went off and had the Terry Knight review, had horns and all this stuff. But Don kept in contact with him, and Terry had some contacts in New York City, and they ended up being the attorneys that did the legal work for the Atlanta Pop Festival in 1969. So that's how we got that You, gig. Don, and— And Mel Shocker. And Mel Shocker. Yeah. At this point in time, we didn't know what 180,000 people looked like. Because we were only, yeah, we were only looking at the front rows, you know, looking out through the fence and going, wow, there's a lot of people. And then when we were 15 feet in the air up above their head, I went, holy crap. (laughs) I just, man, I had to piss so bad. (laughs) But what what do you do? You you, You know, you go, you're not a big headlining act. Right. And do you say to yourself, hey, man, this is my shot. Like when you get up and perform in front of people and because you, you, you come across on stage like the consummate pro, you're not wasted or whatever. You don't seem like you are. You might no. have been. I don't know. No, I was never wasted. Right. That, that, that's amazing. <laughs> you were never wasted. And you get up there and you describe what the set was like. At Atlanta, we did our first album. Right. All original music. Your first original material you did. Yeah. How did it go? On time. How did it go over? What were they like? Dude, they loved it. They loved it. (laughs) I had purchased this Paisley print kind of see-through nylon or something. It wasn't cotton. Just wild colors and everything. And I had this thing long sleeve. And I'm out there. It's 110 degrees, Alec, (laughs) you know, in the shade. And I'm just sweating. Uh, I worked up a lather between my legs. You could shave a buffalo. Right, with. Yeah. You know, I'm serious. <laughs> God, you got a p- yeah, word picture. And we come to the end of the, the set, and I told Brewer, I said, we, we got to throw in Land of a Thousand Dances because we used to do Wilson Pickett version mm-hmm. of Land of a Thousand Dances, and I would take my axe off and just prance around and dance. And, you know, and at this point, I was so stuck with this shirt all over my wet body. I'm, I'm, I was pissed, and I just, and I ripped it and that's off. When that, and that's when that. They went nuts. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They, and I learned right at that point, man, that they like the skin. 
They like this yeah. guy. So I went. Now, were you like an athlete? Because you're very fit. You're like a super fit. You look like an underwear model up there. <laughs> I appreciate it. But I was an athlete. But you know what I'm saying? You, yeah, you, man. You don't take your shirt off unless you're, got, you're ready to. Yeah. There's, there's a nice surprise in there That's for everybody. Right. You played football, didn't you? Yeah. And you got injured. Football. In high school. Yeah. So you were Absolutely. an athlete. You were fit. Yes. And so the shirt comes off, and yeah. that's that's the new you. Oh yeah, man! It was my sign. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. here's your sign. Yeah. What year was Atlanta? Sixty nine, right. and we recorded in sixty nine. Had on time released in September of sixty nine, and um, it went gold. I mean, it was just like the the word from the Atlanta Pop Festival. You know, we opened uh, noon the first day. They liked us so well, they moved us to 7 o'clock the second day. And then the third day, we were on at 11 o'clock <laughs> under the lights. <laughs> they're, the, they're the people that they're waiting for now. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. you did three nights there. Yes. Now, at that time in 69, you do Atlanta and you start recording. Are you married to your first wife at the time? No. No. And without, I mean, I know you're a Christian. Yes. So I want to talk about these things appropriately. I don't want to get too... You know, kind of I would talk about, about anything you want yeah, to but talk you know what I mean? about, like, brother. But I appreciate that. That's very sweet of you. But, but it's like you. I mean, you must have had women jumping out of the trees on top of you. But you got married when? What year? In nineteen seventy-two. So it wasn't that long after that you no. got married, right? Was that something you always wanted? You always wanted a family? No, I mean, it was like what you do. You you grow up, you get married, you have kids. I mean, it was like that's. That's what I was thinking. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's a very down-home kind of thing. Yeah, I I hear you. Yeah. Yeah. So you did that Mm -hmm. and had a couple of kids. Well, not with her. I didn't. My first wife, I had no children with. No. Uh, We were married for four years and uh, divorced. Right. This is when you're making it. Mm Mm-hmm. Yes. A lot of work back then, A lot of work. (laughs) And so uh, it was tough to be married. Yes, it was. But you do it again. (laughs) But I do it again. (laughs) My wife, my second wife, my current wife, Lisa, we've been together for 30, well, we've been married 38 years, been how together you, How do you make 39. that work? It's called compromise and love, really true love. You met the right woman. Yeah. I mean, seriously. Uh, there's there's nothing that I can't talk to her about. Uh, there's nothing I wouldn't talk to her about and, and vice versa. And we've gone, especially now that we've gone through this and we're continue to go through with my son being quadriplegic, you, there t- it takes a lot of care, and, and, and it takes a team to take care of him. Uh, but people around us know that we love each other. I mean, it's it's obvious when you see us together, or, you know, people yeah. see us together, they go, they go wow, you, you guys are a match, you know. What happened to your son? My son was camping out with his friends on a Fourth of July weekend. They were at a lake, a remote lake in northern Michigan. It was, you know, Miles and miles and How miles. He? He's 21 at How, this. He's 21 then. 21 then. Um, they were drinking, you know, but there was a lot of other kids that were out there that were underage. He was was going to turn 21, I believe, in, in September. But uh, they were doing backflips off a picnic table. And my son said, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. And these guys kept, especially one guy that he told me about, kept needling him, calling him a pussy and everything, you know, and just kept at him until finally he gets up there, backflips off the picnic table, lands on his neck, and he's paralyzed. They laid him in the back of a pickup truck. He was communicating. He could move his arms at this, this point. Uh, they laid him in the back of a pickup truck for 11 and a half hours he laid there. 
And and if if they could have got him in within the first four hour window, they could have given him an injection at the point in his spine and arrested the edema. But that was long past by the time he was in the emergency room. And when we went into the emergency room, was there any? If you don't mind my asking, was there any explanation as to why they didn't take him to some medical care right away? Because of the underage kids, he didn't want to expose them to the police coming out there. He didn't want to rat on his friends. Right. right. So where is your son now? He's home. He's home. Yeah. He's got a power chair that he runs with his mouth. It's a, called a sip and puff. Right, and I know that, like Chris Reeve has. Yeah. And Chris was a friend of mine, too. Uh, yeah. God rest his soul. Yep. But Jesse, his friends, put a remote control for RC trucks and cars and boats. They built him this remote where everything's in one joystick. And it's got an extended straw, and they put it on a mic stand that's got a vice grip welded to the end of it, and they clamp it on his chair. And here this thing is, and he runs the thing with his mouth. And, he, and he's got this boat that's a jet boat, and he runs it up our stream. we got a trout stream in front of our house, and he runs that thing up there. He, he takes it down to the, you know, the waterfront, and there's, you know, hundreds of people standing around, and they're watching this boat zipping and they're looking for who's doing this who's running it and they see this kid in a power chair running this thing with the, his mouth his they, they can't believe and my son Jason his older brother who was born the same day nine years earlier uh he says, Dad, I got both my hands. I can't run it as good as Jess can with his mouth. That's funny. That's funny. <laughs> if you don't mind my asking this question, which is this Christian faith of yours, mm-hmm. uh, was that something that was a constant? Was that something that was... Uh, as a result of what happened with your son, was it something that you that you rededicated to after what happened to your son? Because I know that for me, terrible time. I'm a, I'm a Catholic, and, mm-hmm. and in really tough times in my life, I'm going to take the good word. I'm going to take the good ideas from wherever I can, I can get them. And I'm a churchgoer, but I become a more regular churchgoer when I'm in trouble. Mm-hmm. I hear what, you. What was that like for you? Well, for me, it happened when my dad died. My mother aunts and uncles, friends are all like in the dining room crying, sobbing, you know, looking at pictures. And this is just a a few days after his death and the funeral. And I go into the living room and Billy Graham is on the television set and he's doing a crusade in Flint and he's at Atwood Stadium. And I see all these people down there at Atwood and I used to live next to Atwood, and I knew how big that place was. I said, man, there's a lot of people there. And so I started watching, and he says to the, to the viewing audience, if there's anybody out there that's hurting, that needs a touch from God, that, and he starts, you know, uh, talking to, directly to me, come on over here and put your hand on the television set. I walk over nine years old. I put my hand on the television set, and I, I pray with Billy Graham, and I ask Jesus into my heart. Wow. You know? Nine years old. At nine years old. And then, you know, I had my fame. I went on. But I always had that the Lord is love. Really? You know, the Lord is love. And and I always had that in me. You know, when we had our Phoenix album, which was the first album uh, after Terry Knight, after the management thing, right. we, we split, had Phoenix, there was a song on there called So You Won't Have to Die. You know, and it talks about... Um, you know the the world and the overpopulation and a lot of things that that we all recognize as problems. 
There's too many children on the earth and more are on the way. If you don't start some birth control and you won't last much longer, it's best that we let him save our souls so we can get much stronger. You know, it's it's like it was he was calling on me. Love was calling on me, and I was putting it in the words. And people at that point were saying, hey, are you a Christian now or what's going on? You know, because you said Jesus on a record. Right. But I went through all those motions, and I think a lot of people do in a religious setting because they don't want to appear to be, you know, not plugged into God. So we're, we're going along with, and we're, we're opening our mind to this. But what happens is the indebtedness that we were under in the world, every debt that is anyone's holding against us, any financial debt that we carry is an anchor to our soul. This indebtedness bullshit and I am a Christian. I'm a cussing Christian. Yeah. You know, I have become like the Romans t- to win Romans, brother. <laughs> but you exchange the worldly debt for a godly debt. And th- I mean, that's what people do because the church puts you right in debt. Now you got to pay 10%. You got to tithe. Now you got to give your offerings. Now you, you got to support the missionaries. You got to do this. You, you don't do like that. that. No. Right. No, because love isn't like that. Right. There is no debt. When I had my pacemaker put in here four years ago, October 23rd, I left the bone suit. I went into heaven, brother. Right. I know what it's like. It's debt-free. You had the thing, this procedure done twice. Yes. Right. Yes. But one more than the other was that, that dramatic. Yeah. Or did you feel you left your body twice? Oh, I, I knew I left it twice. It was so both times you had a very, very kind of otherworldly experience. Yes. When you are absent from the bone suit— you are present with love. And this is what I, I didn't get it when I was uh, the Christian in the church because I was indebted to all these other silly notions that don't exist except in this religious realm where even Jesus said in the end time there's going to be many wolves in sheep's clothing. And this is what we got today. You see some of these cats got more bling bling than the pimps on the street. It makes me sick. They're selling Jesus. They're selling. They're selling. If yeah. there's any kind of money involved, yes, exactly, Alec. But th- that money ruins the prospect of the real Jesus getting in there because it's not going to happen. Really, love does not inhabit the indebtedness of a person's soul. But I would imagine also and I'm not saying this to be glib, there's a very independent nature to you and your work. So it's like you don't really want to do a lot of covers of other people's material. You'll do one every now and then, but you'd rather write your own songs. Right. The same is true in all things. Yes. I like to do my own material. (laughs) But I'm going to switch gears here. I want to talk about when you're in a band, Mm -hmm. and you're in a band, and you're pretty much in charge, correct? Were were you viewed as the guy that was calling the shots, or was it much more? No. Describe the other two guys. It's... You, and lead Don, guitar and vocals. Yes. And Mel Shocker on bass. Right. And Don Brewer on drums and vocals. Drums and vocals. And Don was the businessman of the band. Who handled Terry. Who handled Terry and handled all of the books. Uh, Did he handle the business after Terry was gone? Because eventually you yes. split with Terry. Yes. Right. And you didn't need another guy because Don could take care of everything? Right. Cool. Well, <laughs> it was Don that came to me and, and said, we all need to sign the ownership of the trademark Grand Funk Railroad into the corporation where it will have this protective umbrella. And I didn't finish high school, uh, and he had gone to law school, so I figure he knows what he's talking about. I figure he's my friend. 
he, he wants to protect us. Don. Yes. And so I said to him, okay, I'll do that. And he says, let me go to my room and get the papers. And as he left, I'm thinking, why the hell didn't he just bring the papers with him? And it didn't dawn on me what was going on until I had signed those papers he brought back to my room. I signed them. And then I got the call that I was no longer in the corporation. They had thrown me out of the corporation. And the band was going out without me. And I got what this in a that? phone call. This was in 98. Oh, so so after Terry's gone. Yes. Terry leaves. Terry's with you through the golden ages there. Oh, yeah. Late, late 60s, early 70s. All the platinum records, all the big tours. Yes. Terry's gone when he's out and done, replaces him fully when? In the 70s? 71. So, so that quickly. Right after Shea Stadium. Three-day sellout. <laughs> yes. So you sell out Shea quicker than the Beatles. You're smoking hot. Terry's gone. Don takes over then. And everything was fine. It was Don took over as far as the books right. and keeping track of, you know, things. But we, our road manager, Andy Cavalieri, took over as management right. at, that, okay. at that point. Did he do a good job? Yeah, he did a, you know, for not being a manager. I mean, he didn't know what the heck to do, but he, he learned real quick. But without getting into specifics, because I, I don't, I'm not so much leaning on income and money as I mm-hmm. am that you were able to protect some income, because you always hear the, I mean, the business is nothing but guys getting no money for the first five or six albums that they make because they've signed some crappy deal. Yeah. You made a lot of money during that period. Maybe not as much as you'd like to have made. Yes. But you made enough money. Mm-hmm. But Terry Knight told me that I needed to publish my songs through his company because he had this worldwide affiliation. So he didn't say to me, do you want all your money or half of it? Now, if he'd, right. if he'd have presented it to he me— He took his piece of your money. Yeah, he took his the half. Yeah, yeah, he took the publishing. Right, the publishing. Yeah. Did uh, you get it back? Did you buy it back? No, uh, I have it now, but but those all those songs, the, the first seven, eight albums, um, are published through Storybook, which is Terry Knight's uh, publishing You're still company. with them. Those songs are. Yeah. Did you get a piece I, of that? I only get my song writing. I don't get any of the publishing. None of the Whatsoever. Publishing. Wow. Yeah. He was stabbed to death by his daughter's boyfriend five, six Terry. years. Terry. Yes. Five, six years ago. ago in Temple, Texas, brother. It, there was drugs involved. <clears throat> she was 18. The boyfriend was 27. The boyfriend came in. They were high on drugs. He starts abusing the daughter. Terry tries to uh, get between them, and a guy goes in and grabs a butcher knife out of the kitchen drawer, stabs Terry uh, 26 times. How old was Terry at the time? 60. Not a young guy. No. But uh, his daughter had used that time to go to a friend's apartment because it was a, a complex, and when the cops got there to arrest this guy, he was trying to kick down the door on this other apartment to get at her, and he had the knife and blood and everything. I mean, the cops got him, and uh, but but they now put him she, away. Oh yeah, and uh, but now she has the publishing company. She has she don't know anything about publishing. Sorry to say, God yeah. bless her. Yeah. Uh, and so that's still, I'm I'm now you know this this new rule you can get your songs back no yeah. matter who published them. So that's what I'm doing. I'm in the in the Good process.
While Grand Funk was rocking its way into America's hearts, Patti Lapone, another musical legend, was winning them over on the Broadway stage. When did it start to become fun for you? Oh, Anything Goes was a ball. Okay, so talk about that. Why? Oh, because of the material and because of the cast, and and it was hysterical. I Who mean, directed you? Jerry Zachs. And Jerry did a great <laughs> job of directing. And he's tough. Yes, he is. Yeah. And But, Demanded. however, these were the, the way musicals used to be written. You'd have a joke coming and then a, a gorgeous song. The material was so ripe and so beautiful. If I was in a bad mood, all I had to do was hear that. And, okay, I know where I am yeah, tonight. Ex- exactly. Take a listen at here's the thing.org. Mom met a lot of your demands over the years. This Mother's Day, get her the Bartesian cocktail maker that makes premium cocktails on demand. In just 30 seconds, have your choice of over 60 premium or seasonal cocktails, all at the touch of a button. Get $50 off on the Bartesian cocktail maker now when you buy one pack of cocktail capsules. So, for all the times you made a mess, get Mom the countertop cocktail system that makes premium cocktails without making any mess at all. For all the times you begged for soda, get her premium cocktail capsules made with real fruit juice and craft bitters. For all the times you demanded tacos for dinner, get her the Bartesian that mixes margaritas in just 30 seconds. Make Mom's Mother's Day and all the 364 days that aren't Mother's Day with a Bartesian cocktail maker at $50 off. Visit B-A-R-T-E-S-I-A-N.com backslash mother now to get $50 off the Bartesian premium cocktail maker. Bartesian, premium cocktails on demand. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. In the 1970s, Mark Farner and Grand Funk Railroad were selling out stadiums worldwide while pushing politically charged hits like People Let's Stop the War. The Michigan native credits prayer for his resilience. After all, he has a heart condition that he says has killed him twice. I knew about it just because of the flutter uh, when I was in my early 20s. So you had a, an arrhythmia. Yeah. Which I have that as well. Oh. And you had an arrhythmia. <laughs> We're going to go down the whole list. And be like, I have that too. <laughs> I'm you. I just can't write songs and sing. But other than that, other than the whole rock and roll thing, I'm you, brother. So, um, but when did you like first flame out? Like when did it really get serious? I woke up. We were at the Renaissance Center in Detroit. We're down doing some radio and stayed the night. And my my wife is in the bathroom. She she told me as she came out of the bathroom and looked at me. I'm I'm laying in the bed. My arm, my left arm, shoots up in the air. And she said my body started going into these contortions, and and I started having this foam coming out of my mouth. 
She's on the phone. She's got the paramedics there and, like, stat. They were right there. They had me on oxygen. You're having a seizure. Yes, I was having a seizure, but I didn't realize what was going on. My problem was electrical. I had what they call a bundle branch block. So it wasn't receiving the signal to squeeze and send the blood to the top part, and that's what happened to me. But uh, on the way to the hospital in the ambulance, you know, this guy's talking to me, and I could feel my heart doing some crazy stuff. You know, yeah. it's just like whopping around in there. I go in to in the emergency room on a gurney. They've got me on an external pacemaker. There's three doctors 10 feet from me in the corner looking at a screen, and they're dialing, hitting switches and stuff. There's three of them over there. And all of a sudden, wham, I'm hit like it feels like I'm hit with 440 volts or something. They hit me hard, and it hurts so bad. I hollered out. My wife, Lisa, comes over. What's the matter, huh? What's the matter? I said, they hit me with so much electricity. I'm, they're, they're trying to kill me. And she starts yelling to the top of her lungs. Hey, hey, she's screaming. These guys are not turning around. Doctors are coming in from out in the hallway. Uh, what's going on in here? Because they hear the commotion and the, her hollering. And she's saying, they're trying to kill you, and, and wham, they hit me again, and I'm gone. I'm in heaven now. I'm in heaven now. I'm digging it because heaven is you understand and you know all things immediately, immediately. You know everything, and the peace that passes understanding takes over your consciousness. I thought you're, you were going to say you're in heaven, and you know you're in heaven because Elvis Presley walks up to you and says, Mark Farner, I'm a big fan of yours, man. I love your music, man. <laughs> I think you're fan. Oh, that was. I love you, man. I love those tunes. You, I love local. Your cover. Of I love the way you think, Alec. <laughs> That's happened to me. But but, but continue. I'm sorry. Uh, I'm there, and I hear. You know, we got him back twice. I've been there twice. I died. They paddle me back. I die again, and they paddle me back. And the doctor says to Lisa. We got him back twice. There is no guarantee we're going to get him a third time. We have to get him to OR right this second. And I mean, stat. And when he said stat, things were like MASH 4077. People were just hauling ass just every direction. And I got down there, had this pacemaker put in. The following morning, the doctor who did the catheterization uh, came in, 32-year-old guy, and he says, Mr. Farner, I've done thousands of these. I mean, literally thousands of these catheterizations. He says, I did a 12-year-old kid yesterday, and I want to tell you something. Your cardiovascular system is in better shape than this 12-year-old. I want to know what you're doing. doesn't surprise me. He says, you don't have any plaque whatsoever. It's all that playing to that back row on stage, man. That should work out. Now, let's go back. You know, back in that time or even around that time, 70s, I mean, this is, I mean, the 70s are just this blazing Oh yeah, oh, it's, a, it's this blazing thing. It's the, it's Zeppelin and the Who and yeah, and you guys and uh, you know, it's you. It's three guys. Yeah. Why is it three guys? Who makes the? Did you ever think we need more guys? Did you bring on more guys? Why was it just? It was a bassist, a drummer, and a lead guitarist only, correct? Exactly. Or a keyboardist? Right. We had just. I say we. The band, um, the Fabulous Pack, had gone to Boston to do some gigs. Now, this agency from Michigan told us, we're going to send you out there. We'll put you up. They're going to feed you. You're not going to get paid, but if you do good, if they like you, we'll go back and we'll actually make some money. They, we were making money from the get-go. They just lied to us, right? So we're staying on Cape Cod in summer cottages 
and the worst snowstorm in the history of the world hits, and we are stranded in Cape Cod, East Sandwich, Massachusetts. We're melting down snow uh, because the pipes are frozen. We have a little gas heater in the living room, uh, and no insulation in these. I mean, just a little, you know, space heater deal, and we're we're stuck. We go to the grocery store. He he would give us oatmeal. And that's all we had. We didn't have sugar. We didn't have butter. We didn't have milk. We just had the oatmeal. We'd melt down the snow, make this oatmeal. You're in a Chinese prison. Yeah, man. It was it was unbelievable. And dude, we had to take a crap in a a paper bag that we got from the guy at the store, and then you know we'd take the bag and go stick it in the snowbank. I would have hate to been the people cleaning yeah, that mess. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh man. Thank God you left town. Oh, you ain't kidding. But we were there two weeks. I mean, it was, and and we two of the guys in the band were married. So by the time uh, we'd hitchhiked up the the coast, you got to know each other real well. Oh my god, you bonded. Yeah, and one of the one of the guys, I don't know how they did it, but they had contracted the crabs. So he was in one house by himself, and all the rest of us was in this other one. Yeah, you kicked him out. Exactly, yeah, you quarantined him. Yes. When we got back home, the, the two that were married, their wives were threatening divorce, and we just, I mean, it was a big blowout, right? And so I said to Brewer, you know, we should just do three-piece and forget forget the keyboards, forget getting anybody in the band that has anything to do with a woman, right. <laughs> you know, because this is right. going to screw us up. We're a stag club it, now. Yeah. So we go up, and we're going to give these guys in Bay City a piece of our mind because we when we after we found out we were paid three hundred and fifty dollars a night for doing these shows and we never saw a penny of it, uh, we were going to chew their ass out real good for them. And we're sitting in the waiting room to, to waiting to get into the office, and it was also a rehearsal facility. And there's a band in there rehearsing, and I'm listening to this bass through the wall. And I'm going, Brewer, listen to this bass player, dude. Who is this? And so they're rehearsing. Blah blah blah. We can just hear kind of the throbs. They get done with their little rehearsal. Mel Shocker walks out, and he's playing with Question Mark and the Mysterians. Right. You know? And we say to him, dude, we're going to start a three-piece band. Would you like to be in the band? Man, he says, I am. I'm ready to leave this band. You couldn't have picked a better time for me. He said, when do we start? We said, Monday at the at the Flint <laughs> Federation of U- the wow. Musicians Union Hall. And, and Had you known what, him? Yes, I went to school with Melvin. He was uh, a year under me. And you kept tabs in his career? You knew he was with that band? Where, yes. Everybody's kind of keeping tabs on each yes, other, aren't they? Absolutely. Especially in that community, like that Flint oh, area. Oh, yes. Yeah. Now, this is true for all performers. You know, there's a there's that white-hot period, and it goes by. You almost don't even know what's happening. You don't exactly. even, know, you, don't even, you almost don't even know it is the white-hot period. Right. But eventually you realize that we all age, mm-hmm. and it changes. Yes. When do you start to feel this is changing? When my hair started re- <laughs> going way back. That fantastic hair. When you flipped it in the wind, there was less of it flipping in the wind. Yeah. You could feel it. Exactly. Like, no, my hair doesn't it feel the same. It was lightening up. And uh, I, I believe, too, that I know that in my heart, uh, I was born and you know, I was put here on this planet to entertain, also to provoke people to think. I'm an entertainer. But there's something more to me. I have an underlying motive. I have love in my heart. And I love all people, all colors, all races. I don't see uh, I don't see difference like this. You got a little political for a while when you were very young during the war, correct? Absolutely. I wrote the song, People right. Let's Stop the War. Got it. And people today, when I play that on stage, Alec, they love that song. They do. I mean, because it still you applies. You don't regret that. No, it still but you, applies. But you're not political now. 
I put it in between the lines. And my music, I've always said it with a song, brother. And I still say it this way because I believe the, the world could be one with the right song. Hmm. It could be one. Get to the heart of every person. What was the easiest song? What's a song that really, really flowed out of you? Was, I, was it Closer to Home? Yes. Because I remember I read somewhere where you, you jumped out of bed like in the middle of the night, you had to write it down. Yes. You just, it just came to you. Yes. But I'd preempt that with, I did say my prayers. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. You know, I used to pray just for the fire insurance because I used to think, man, I don't want to go to hell. So I got to I gotta touch base with God here before I close my eyes. You know, that's the way I do it. But uh, I pray thee, Lord, my soul to take. If I should die before I wake, I pray thee, Lord, that I get that last verse of I'm your captain. <laughs> well, I did. I put a P.S. after I said, God bless mom and dad and grandpa. I blessed everybody in the whole damn yeah. family. Then I said, God, would you please give me a song that would reach and touch the hearts of people you want to get to? But when you, you finish that song— how does that process work with those two guys? You'd all get together to rehearse? Yeah. And you'd lay it out for them and say, here's this, this is what I came up with. Yes. Yeah, so, well, that the following morning, I got up, and I'm looking at the horses out in the pasture. I've got a 110-acre farm there, and I make my coffee. I got, you know, I'm strumming my George Washburn, American-made George Washburn. It was the baddest guitar I ever had. Uh, and I said, it just started coming. Yeah. You know, I'm thinking, Wow. Uh, then I start, in my mind, I'm thinking, oh, the words. I wonder if that is a song. And so I go, and I get my little yellow legal pad there with all of I'm Your Captain written down on it, lay it on the table, and I just start... Weaving it together. This, this, the C, that second chord, I'd never played it, that inversion of that C. And I went, wow, where the hell did that come? And I looked down at my fingers, and I went, wow, that looks pretty cool. I'm going to keep that. I'm going to keep that. And I take it to rehearsal that day, Alec, and then I and I said, Look, I got this song and I'm and they're going, Damn, Farner, that's a hit. Man, yeah. that song's a hit. Cool. cool. They were right. And you recorded <laughs> that what what year? Seventy one. And they played the hell out of that oh, song. Oh boy. They I, t- I told you, I'm not I'm not ashamed to say this. I'd stick my head out the window and I'd smoke a joint and blow a that joint out the window. And I'd have these big I mean, I I saved the money to buy these gigantic acoustic research, these gigantic, beautiful A&R speakers. <laughs> they were in the corner of my bedroom, and I, and I would move them next to my head, oh, yeah. and I would lay my head down like I was having a CAT scan. You know, I yeah. had like these two giant boxes <laughs> next to my ears, and I'd get the volume really low. I'd smoke that joint, I'd come back, and I'd lay down, and I'd put on Closer to Home. Uh, Such a beautiful song. Thank you. Now, what's a song that you sweated over? What was a tough song to write? What was one of the hardest songs for you to write? The hardest, I believe, like bad time. Mm-hmm. I was, this was my first wife. Um, she was in the kitchen uh, hollering and screaming, and I'm in the dining room on the keyboards. <laughs> you know, yeah. she's threatening. I'm right with you, honey. Yeah, she's threatening. She's going to write a song about you. <laughs> it's called Bad Times. <laughs> she, she on, baby. Exactly, right there. Exactly, dude. And, but <laughs> she's in there threatening to put a 12-inch cast iron skillet through my forehead. I mean, she's just really yeah. mad in a wet hand. And I'm in there writing I'm trying to write bad time. And I hope a meteor hits my house. (laughs) Yeah, this is queen. And she's, you know, I'm I'm singing that part out. And I I want her to know that this, what she's doing is not melting (laughs) with what I'm trying to do in here. Uh, When this song comes out, you're not going to be happy, baby. (laughs) That's right. 
Yeah. But but that song was played more than any other song in 1975. I got a BMI award for that song. When the band really, really rips it and you go, what was it like for you to perform overseas? As, as, as a, I mean, you sang a song, one of your most legendary songs is We're an American Band. Yes. How did one of the most famous American bands in rock and roll history, how did they play overseas? Where, where did they welcome you the most? Where did you get the vibe, the feeling? Because you're very spiritual. Yes. Where did you feel that communion with the audience the most? Um, I felt it when we were in Germany. I was going to say. You know, we did a, a show for the troops at Schweinfurt, uh, 10,000 troops, and then all the civilians. Dude, there was like 30,000 people there. That's cool. We, they had backed up uh, two semi-trailers. That was the stage. And the, the spotlights were three tanks <laughs> out in front. <laughs> you know, you got this tank following you. Uh, to, to play in, in Europe, they loved it. They, and, and especially when we would hit, we're an American band. Are you kidding me? <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, when you go out there now and you perform now, you're still performing. You're yes. Still, and I, and oh, I yes. want to read. I'm going to read. Let me read this for you, if I may. This is from Elmore Magazine, January 25th, 2016. Barry Fish. Walking out onto the stage in a T-shirt, jeans, and his long, partially braided hair, he looked exactly like the Mark Farner of old. More importantly, he sounded exactly the same as well, both with his vocals and his guitar playing. Leading a band consisting of bass, drums, and keyboards, he launched right into Are You Ready, the same tune used to open many of Grand Funk shows back in their heyday around 45 years ago. This began a set of songs that came right at you, nonstop hit after hit, foot stomping music, we're an American band, and they just kept coming until he finally stopped to take a break and say hello to the audience. Farner informed his very dedicated fans that in the recent past, he had a pacemaker put in due to a heart condition. The energy he exudes on stage now is proof of how he has completely recovered. <laughs> the doctor said, don't baby it. And he told my wife, he said, tell him, don't baby it. He's got a new heart now. That's the way he's got to look at it. Tickets to his upcoming shows can be found at markfarner.com. This is Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Here's the Thing. My friends and I used to sit there and sing. We'd be doing a movie, and if we didn't like the director, I'd sit there with myself going, Am I in my trailer dreaming? Or are you really scheming? To take this movie away from me <laughs> You better think about You know, we, we, oh. we, that, that, that lyric came in very handy in yeah, a, lot of, a lot of moments of Dude, you're singing in tune Well, well I, wouldn't, I wouldn't go that far All I want to say to you <laughs> is You are such a great, great, great musician Thank you, brother And you're such a great part of my life musically I was just really, really happy to have you come and do the show man. Well, God bless you, Alec It's been my pleasure Thank you
right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. Hey guys, you know what this playground could use? A wine country, huh? A redwood forest would be cool. Ski slopes! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com.